Hi, this is Eli. Um, good morning. How are you doing? I am driving, uh, heading north on 580, about to get on 101, and go to work in a glass shop making small parts uh, for a lighting company. Um, I had a great weekend. I worked in the morning teaching glassblowing class and then spent the day with my partner and their birthday cooking lobsters and clams. Really delicious. And potatoes and eggs also. That was one of my favorite meals also. So um, I'm looking forward to this drive. It's nice to uh, be in the car, have some time, think about all these thoughts. Um, so today I want to talk about two of my favorite things meat and fear, and I think uh, I'll be able to tie them together in some kind of interesting ways. Um, I think the fear, I touched on fear earlier, I'm talking about people that work in art institutions, kind of fear-based practices, and I want to expand on that idea. And been thinking about that a lot, and I don't think it's just uh, people in art institutions. And, and I think that we all have fear, uh, and we all are kind of burdened by it. And it's such an enormous part of our lives, and such a challenging part, and a big place for growth. I think um, thinking about it a lot and discussing it is really helpful. Um, for me, it's just been such a huge part of my life and my struggles and my growth. Um, you know, as a kind of freelance worker, I am always a little bit on the precipice of what feels like disaster, and it's always really scary. Um, but I'm also always facing it, and I don't have a place of security often. Um, and so it can feel, uh, you know, uh, there, it's like there's a need to be able to exist within that fear. I mean, a lot of things in my life are scary and hard, uh, and, you know, partnership and parenting and working are all really difficult and, and facing those fears I think is uh, really hard really hard and uh, I think we can get in patterns where we don't totally face those fears and uh, we can cause a lot of hurt to ourselves and others and so maybe um, 
there's ways we can get around that through some kind of thinking and meat eating. Um, in uh, 2010, I was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had a cancer all through my body in my lymphatic system. And so I was allowed the opportunity to face my own death as a young man, 30 years old, to just be thrust into the potential of um, sickness and death from a very healthy place, you know, strong and hardworking and eating well, and uh, was immediately kind of... Um, burdened or brought into a place of um, real, real, real scary stuff. Um, and I think that gave me a really wonderful perspective, continues to give me a really wonderful perspective about living and dying. <laughs> I think I've always kind of embraced fear and maybe a bit too much in you know, risk-taking behavior and, um, you know, from the acting out of youth to the, you know, intensity of the early 20s uh, and... I mean, whether it's like doing jobs and crafts that are really dangerous and scary or um, having a drug lab in my basement and using my art studio as a cover for that or smuggling drugs internationally, um, I... Um, have often used my fear as a place of investigation and a place to, like, a reason to go forward on a thing. If it scares me, I might just want to do it, um, to see how it goes, to see how I'll react, to see whether I can do it, to see if things are going to be okay. Um, and the feeling of getting out on the other side of something really scary uh, is exhilarating. You know, getting through security in an airport and getting and sitting down, the feeling of sitting down on the plane um, with drugs in my overalls um, is a special feeling of you know, probably of power and probably too much ego. And that's, I think, where it can be dangerous uh, and where I've, you know, exposed myself to unneeded, unnecessary risk. Uh, and, but that's the, you know, that's the, 
I mean, maybe there's an adrenaline rush, but I think it's even more so because it's in the brain. It's an ego rush, and it's a thing that's even more, you know, there's the jumping off of tall things, off of bridges, docks, towers, um, climbing uh, exposed towers and walls uh that that's there's an adrenaline rush there and there's the the and then after it the 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 ego and the the power feeling after it that's also really wonderful uh and so those kind of behaviors have been part of my um part of my actions, part of my um, behavior, and I think even I've thought part of my personality. And so being diagnosed with cancer was such a, it was almost like this kind of hilarious moment of like, look at this, this person that is like, I've always embraced these kind of risk-taking behaviors. And then by 2010, I was kind of in some ways like, you know, straightening out, got my life together, was just a worker and wasn't being as risk-taking and crazy. And um, I was trying to be a normal, regular guy. And then um, I was kind of given this, you know, diagnosis, given a death sentence that I needed to fight against and went into six months of chemo and came out the other side uh, very weak but potentially with the cancer you know in remission cured uh, the chemotherapy regimen that they give to you you know a b v d the the initials for the the four chemicals uh, it's you know, potentially one of the few cancers that they do say is curable um, and knocks it back in such an aggressive way. Uh, and, but um, so I feel very lucky in that way. And that was also kind of like some of the, you know, humor in that situation that it was like, I really did get this kind of, you know, amazing opportunity to jump off the bridge of uh, mortality and splash into the waters of life below. Uh, and that moment of like free fall of chemotherapy and hospitals steroids and how that all kind of paused my life and made me face my own life and fears and studio practice and relationships and growth as a human and long-term plans uh, you know I think everything I thought about you know, was thinking about growing old and having these kind of larger thoughts and, and starting to feel like I could settle down and not be a young maniac. Um, I think it kind of also like threw those all into question too in a way that was like, 
strange to also be going through a very normal Western medicine regiment and uh, trying to, you know, really take care of myself um, and to live as long as possible, but also knowing that that, you know, might not be that long. Uh, so in a lot of ways it felt contradictory and confusing and and I think there was a, a desire myself to hide from those contradictions and not address those um, because that's where the fear is that's where the scary part is it's like you know really thinking about those things there's no answer and it only gets scarier in there um, so I think these um, these fears these moments of fear are so uh, important for us and in this place of being scared of that and just moving through it you know, it's the it's the moving through it that is that is what the life is made of. Is those moments of of just being present with what it is, of being in that present moment uh, and living with that fear and living with that moment and also still enjoying oneself. Uh, I spent a lot of time shooting slingshots. I got slingshot and I would. Uh, lived in a little cabin on the beach, and I would go to the beach and shoot my slingshot at all my beer bottles and sit in my canoe, feel nauseous, and put a fishing line in the water, knowing I wasn't going to catch anything, but still the kind of the joy of doing something, um, the stupidity of doing things like that, um, just being slow and be present uh, I think were to me uh, finding that that space of just existing in there of like not letting the fear shake me to the core but let it be something that just existed with me um, but wasn't you know Letting the fear exist in the future and my happiness exist now. Um, or maybe letting the fear get behind me uh, and be the driving force. I think that had been a philosophy for me of like letting the winds of fear fill my sails. But maybe even in that moment of cancer was like, I couldn't even get conjure it in that much. It was just like, you know, let the winds of fear whip around me and I'll be in my rowboat here, kind of in the middle. Um, and I certainly could uh, rally and get that strength, but there were times that it just, I didn't have that. Um, that full strength and like the joy of you know like 
trying to conceal a drug lab in my basement while also having an art career that was about making drugs and about making glass for a drug lab or the joy of smuggling drugs through an airport. Um, Those were moments of like super duper ego and getting that power of the fear and letting it carry me. Um, I think in the cancer moment, it was like giving into that, giving up on that. And like, just like, you know, taking my sail down. So I wasn't such rough movement in my boat and just maybe make sure the rudder's in place and guide myself through the rough waters, but not try to catch too much of that. I don't know if that allegory is too tired. But uh, man, the fear, you know, I think it's something to always think about. And I think it's something I uh, have noticed in myself and my ability to exist in my practice and my ability to exist in through my work and to often have jobs and do, um, you know, live off the proceeds of my making. Um, It always relies on myself producing another thing the next day. Um, And uh, the only security is in my own skills and knowledge and my own abilities. And I think that that is, uh, that can be a really scary thing. And I think that this kind of loops back to this like comment about people in art institutions and oftentimes these kind of administrators or institutionalists, I think are, you know, they haven't addressed that fear and there's a lot of people that haven't addressed this kind of fear of what they think they can do and what their worth is and they're scared that they can't and they need to lean on a larger institution and something bigger to kind of give them the cover and I think they haven't recognized their own power and their own abilities and uh, I think that If you, if you can, uh, you know, I think if we all did, I think a lot of the institutions administration would fall apart. And I think that, you know, the society wouldn't function in the way that it functions. So it's, it's great that it, it, it does exist or it is, it just exists because of this. Um, and, you know, I think that art institutions do play a great role. Uh, and I think they really bring art to people that, that don't know about it and they expose people to great things and they, they allow an organization of funds to fund things that wouldn't normally get funded. But I think they also, um, in their slow-moving, and fear-based activity, can also really get in the way of um, 
really pure art and artists who really are very aware of themselves and their studio practice and their desire to make art. Uh, and I think they're, you know, but I, I, I also can't figure out a different way to fund it because what is it to be privately funded by, you know, really rich people? Because that also has its own enormous problems and that doesn't work. Um, and I wish there was a way we could say, well, people will just, you know, the enjoyment of arts is what's going to do it. But, you know, if we let the market take care of it, um, the market, you know, they can't because the, the reason the administrations and the institutions pop up is because of a public desire to fund those things. Um, but an inability on the individual level to like each person to fund those arts. And so it's kind of, it, it's funneled through the tax paid system and through the larger public administrative system, which is great. It, it, I think that it ultimately loses some of its tooth in that filtering process, that there's a lot of extra that is paid for. And that's kind of the whole of, you know, democracy. Uh, there is, there needs to be a lot of fluff to make this all happen, uh, and you know. So, getting in the weeds here. Got to get back to meat. Um, I think that learning to live with fear and embrace our fear and our real understanding our real fear and real pain uh, helps us become better people and better artists. And there's only a few of us, I think, that really, you know, need this because there's only a few of us that really are going to be making real art and are going to really be out on the forefront of thought and fear. And I think that that's, that's who I'm talking to here, uh, is the, the very few of us that are willing to really like put all of our emotions out there in our art. Um, you know, whether we're visual artists or writers or filmmakers and who is going to really be out in front of that. Um, and I think that's a really, 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 really hard place to be. And I think it's important to encourage that space because one more of those is, is can be a whole body of work of an artist can be life-changing for many people. Uh, and I think that's... One, you know, one scared artist, it can be the loss of that whole body of work just because they're fucking scared and it's hard to make art and it's hard to, like, you know, be, um, hard to be in that role, be out front, you know, to be the bushwhacker blazing that path through the weeds. Um, not everyone 
can do that and plenty of people can get behind that person that's bushwhacking and say well I can see the path clearly from here that's easy um, and you know it certainly looks easy once that once that path is blazed but when you're in those bushes um, with your thoughts and fears it can seem the world can seem very small and impossible to understand uh, how there's any any path through anything there. So um, one way I think to embrace your fears is in cooking. Uh, you can easily kind of immediately address some fears um, and then have a quick, beautiful reward. Uh, whether it's just a low blood sugar and the um, fear, a general feeling of fear of the world, uh, or maybe you specifically have a fear of cooking certain foods to the right way, uh, there's so much terrible socialization that goes on around food and how food should be prepared and whether it's right or wrong. And I think the first thing we need to do to dispel with that, those notions of like, you know, there is no right or wrong. If it tastes good, it's great. And if it tastes, and even if it tastes fucking weird, it's great, you know? Um, you know, does it, did it make you feel okay, or did it make you sick? Then those are, I think, two important parts. Um, and I think if you're going to cook meat, I think you need to uh, face the fear of maybe getting a little sick. And I think here is where we're going to get really into the dangerous part, right up there with welding zinc, um, is if you are... Um, If you're going to be cooking meat, you got to be willing to take a little risk. I think we all give too much fear into uh, too much power to raw meat. It's not that bad. You can lick your fingers. You can taste the raw meat. It's delicious. If you're just eating raw meat, it's fucking great. Uh, there's a reason we like meat. It's great. And you can eat it fresh off the animal, and it's great. Um, and so I think, you know, nobody wants to get sick. Let's not get E. coli and salmonella. But also, you know, if you want it to be delicious, you may need to, uh, it may need to be a little raw. And if you want to really cook your meat good, and you might have to be playing with this fire. If you're worried about that stuff, you know, well, you should eat veggies, and they're really good. Uh, and I really like to eat veggies. They're really important parts of eating. And, uh, but, you know, just getting that perfect, like, 
pinkness to your meat, you know. I mean, it's standard with beef, but pork and chicken really, like, you know, I think we all can overcook them um, because of this, this fear. And really, just getting them just right. You know, maybe a little bit on the pink side. It's okay. It's all right. You're not going to die. A little raw chicken is not going to kill you. I mean, maybe it will. But you know what? Like, so will a lot of fucking things. Um, and it might be, you know, maybe where you're getting your chicken might be more of a source. Uh, because, you know... Well, no, you don't know. You're listening to me tell you about cooking raw meat. You don't know. This is crazy. This is so crazy. can't believe I'm saying all this stuff. I've been thinking about this a lot, and this idea of, like, cooking meat and, like, the fear that can happen and how it can kind of drive certain cooking techniques. And um, it isn't... It, it can often result in a not as delicious of a cook and I think if we're more aware of that um, you know it's more exciting I don't know is the food better I don't know is it more exciting yeah heck yeah is it more hilarious heck yeah it's so much more hilarious and I think that's a probably the main reason to eat is um, because it's hilarious so um, cooking beef is uh, a tricky one, but the easiest one of these, in that, you know, our standard settings and the way that uh, we all uh, get these meats and have kind of been socialized in. In, in beef, and um, and it's starting to be in certain fishes uh, that there's more of an acceptance because of all the sushi fish that we can get. There's a more of acceptance of a less cooked meat. Um, you know, pork and chicken, because of the salmonella and E. coli factors, like we pretty much just keep that fear high, but also it's because of, I mean, part of the reason those get those bacteria is because of, it's not, it's not in the meat, it's in the prep of the meat, and it's the way that the factories work, and so it's a bummer in the, you know, that's what we're kind of working around, uh, because, man, it's infection. Tender pink chicken. Nothing like that chicken sashimi. Uh, but you're not supposed to know about that. That's illegal. So, you're going to be cooking some beef. And there's a couple things to think about. Whether you're going to do some marinating, whether you're going to salt or use a vinegar um, on that, flesh in the marinade um, you might be putting some flavors in there you might be putting some sugars in there that will also add so 
caramelization. Some marinades might add some liquid to help kind of steam things. Um, vinegars might help kind of seal it in, but they're going to really act on that flesh and um, prepare it in a certain way. Um, and those can kind of stand out. Um, and I think that... You know, lately I've really just been not marinating anything. Though I think a flank steak is a good one to marinate. And I kind of feel like I'm kind of thinking a skirt steak might be good to marinate. But I'm not totally... I, I don't know. I think flavors are like a great thing to bring in uh, after with grains and vegetables. Uh, and letting meat really like exist in its meaty place, but I'm a big fan of meat and salt, um, and maybe that's just my uh, my palate, my boring amateur palate. Um, but there's also something really exciting about an occasion, occasional like dense vinegary marinade, and something that. Uh, acidifies and really essentially cooks that meat before you get to cooking it um, and seals in that flesh in a different way and changes the chemical structure of the flesh before you get to cooking it. Uh, and I think that that is also pretty exciting. But the older I've gotten and the more meat I've cooked, the less I fuck with it. The more I like the natural state of it and enjoying it just as like just getting enough heat to it to um, placate that fear a little bit to bring down the idea that I might like totally get sick from it. But, you know, I've got a fucking iron stomach too. So you definitely should not take any of my advice here about how to cook meat because, um, you know, most likely it could kill you uh, eating the way that I eat. Uh, so I definitely don't recommend any of this for any of you, especially if you're young or old or middle-aged, uh, or you got a weak stomach or you're scared because you're just going to be so scared. You're not going to enjoy the fucking food. You're going to eat it. Be like, this is fucking crazy. What am I doing to myself? This guy, why did I listen to this guy? Tell me, uh, about eating. I'm scared. So, um, I've switched recently from cooking New York steak to the prime rib. And I feel like the prime rib with the bone in is also maybe a better cut. Um, I was avoiding the bone just because if I – my dog loves bones, but he'll, he loves them too much, and then it can just be trouble. Like he'll just fucking eat them. And I don't like to throw them away because it's delicious bones. So I give it to the dog, and the dog fucking eats it. And I'm like, oh, fuck, dog eats bones. Uh, more fear there. Fear of dog dying from dog bones. Um, but man, really just like searing the shit out of that steak. That's a great way to go. And then ground beef, also a good high fat content. And here's another one that I've been enjoying is freezing the patties of beef. So that 
when you cook it, you get the exceptionally like rare center. You can really crisp the outside and get a nice rare center. Um, but probably then you're dealing with like the most weird and uh, questionable cut where you got ground beef, you know? And so um, there's some, you know, that's where it gets more exciting in the beef category of really like medium rare your burger. Um, potentially, though, if you're freezing it and taking it from froze to cooked or to rare, the freezing's going to also um, offset some of these um, potential bacteria and things that might give you the owies. Potentially. Once again, uh, don't take my advice. So, um, we're cooking some meat. I've also been doing this with my fish. I kind of switched recently from baking like salmon, like a salmon, a filet, a half side of a Pacific... Um, a coho or a sockeye, preferably a nice rich red pink sockeye um, tail cut. I used to bake them, but I've started to do it in the pan, in a hot pan, and almost like frying, skin side down. It's probably akin to a barbecue style where you're you're skin side down and giving it a sear, and then covering it just enough to kind of steam it and just like kick off the cooking on the outside but like aiming for a little bit of pink on the inside and i found that going from frozen um actually does that really well it's a little tricky to get it just so um it's easy to like get it too cooked on the outside and not enough on the inside and that's where steaming it, covering it, and maybe added a little water, just covering it, helps to um, steam that. Like, I'll use that technique both also with the steak and a burger where I'll cover it towards the end to bring in just a little extra heat. Because especially if you're cooking something frozen in the center, you got to be careful that, like, you really can just burn the outside and leave it all totally too raw on the inside. Um, and then certain if I'm cooking for certain people that like it medium or well done, that I'm not trying, I'm not trying to trick them. Uh, I'll use the covering it to kind of bring it in. Also, flipping things, I feel like you got it. Oftentimes, I'm flipping my meat multiple times. Um, I think that there's a tendency sometimes to just want to flip it once and not fuck with it but sometimes you gotta flip your meat multiple times and getting a good spatula and a good relationship with your cast iron pan so that you can um, that you can get in there and flip it carefully multiple times Cast iron pans. I mean, there's another moment of fear that people live in. You can use soap in your cast iron pan. It's okay. Um, you don't need to treat it like a baby. It's made out of iron. It's way stronger than you. Um, so it's okay. And a little rust is also okay. And 
a little not totally clean on the cast iron pan, also totally okay. Um, it's more delicious that way. So, cooking some meat, we're cooking some, cooking some beef, cooking a little tuna steak, frozen tuna steak, like, straight into the hot pan with a little bit of salt. I'm just cooking with olive oil these days. I've abandoned butter, uh, and a desire to abandon all my dairy products, which is crazy. It's totally crazy. Also, more advice you shouldn't take. But um, I'm just using olive oil or occasionally avocado oil. It's great oil, nice and light. Coconut oil uh, as a sub is great, but a lot of people not be liking the coconut oil flavor, so I'm trying to be careful with that one. Um, tuna steak hard sear in olive oil, salt on the other side, and maybe even finishing almost like it, there's like a, you can deglaze with soy sauce, but it's a little crazy because it's almost like it caramelizes and takes you the other way from deglazing. But it's so delicious um, the way that it crisps up in the pan and kind of makes this caramely thick goo in there. Uh, it's a fun one to experiment with. So I'll sear the tuna and then put the soy sauce on there and then flip it over onto that soy sauce again. And that kind of like browns the soy sauce, the tamari, like into that, uh, into the meat. Pretty magic. So now we're fucking with some chicken and pork. Um... A whole ass chicken is a great way to kind of like, you're going to get into that territory. Because if you're cooking a whole ass chicken and you want to get it really perfect, you're probably going to get those breasts nice and tender right when the thighs aren't totally cooked. Like there's this little area in the armpit that's going to be a little questionable. Um, or you could keep cooking it and you could get those thighs cooked well. Um, and then the breasts are going to be. They're going to be a little dry, you know? And so creeping up on that, it's hard to flip a chicken. And it's I don't know if it's worth it. Um, flipping a turkey, it might be worth it. It's also hard to do, but it might be worth it. And it's a little sturdy, and it can kind of handle that. Um, and it's like, it's, an, it's, an, it's like a big, it's a momentous occasion when you're cooking a turkey. So it's kind of worth it to flip it. Uh, and it feels like you're do you're actually doing something when you're just like letting that. Otherwise, you're just letting that turkey sit in the oven forever. So, cooking chicken. Also, if you really want to cook that breast nice, like it really can be a heavy pan. See, if you just have the like the breast with the remove the bone and. You're going to sear it on either side and then maybe cover it. Same technique of like steaming it for a second to let it more than a second. But um, to get it up right into that 130, 135 territory, um, you get it right up against there. Like you get it to that temp and there can still be a little like pink in there. If you want to get it like all white and like dried out, 
you're gonna get it into 160, 180, and it's gonna be fucking great, and you're gonna feel safe, and you're gonna be chewing on that dry chicken, and it's gonna be great, and you're gonna feel like you nailed it. Might want some mayonnaise with that. Mayonnaise goes good with that dry chicken. But there's that area, like, where you've cooked it, like, you know, you get those thighs, like, when it's a little pink, and, like, right in that armpit area, it's like, that juice isn't totally clear. There's these techniques of, like, I gotta get the juice running clear, like, what is clear, you know? There's always gonna be a little color to it, and if it's gonna be just water coming out of there, I mean, shit, the whole thing gets, like, soaked or injected with water often before you're buying it so like what are you really looking for there meat thermometer is really helpful to like really be able to gauge this stuff and kind of get in there and do some investigations but you're you know where it is and where you're actually temperaturizing um I'm usually, if I'm cooking a whole chicken, I will gauge in the center of the breast. That's where I'm watching and trying to get that breast to right into that, you know, 130, really, uh, which I imagine is probably illegal. And get that right to 130, and then, and if it's just me, maybe a little below, you know, just kind of like creep up there. Uh, I mean, because really, like, you're not going to kill it all until it's until you're boiling it, in which case, it's, you know, you've done it. You've, you've boiled it, and you're doing your safe, and it's good. Uh, but then you kind of need to, to me, it's like, to really cook that way, it's like, you need to just cook, you need to boil it for a couple of hours to really soften things up and take it into that other side of tender when you slow-cook things for days uh, and that's also really really wonderful delicious territory but cooking your chicken you know I mean just talking about this makes me nervous uh, which I think is probably probably the point here uh, is digging into these fears and digging into these uh moments of risk i mean as probably right here is like pinpoints like the issues i have with myself and like that i'm always trying to like have a little risk and have a little like action in that way in my life it doesn't not everything needs to be a risk taking eli just because you're cooking food doesn't mean like you don't need to do this you could just cook your food regular and it doesn't need to be adventure every time but for me, it's like, that's where the joy of my life always is, is in these adventures. And having an adventure is my favorite thing. Even if it's just like in the evening while I'm cooking meat, I'm having an adventure. I'm like, right in there. Like, is this, oh, I'm just right on the edge of safe. Like, this is getting crazy. Woo, it's a meat. So, um, you know, once again... Don't follow this advice. This is not, this is not the way you should do things. Uh, so, a pork, ten, pork tenderloin. That's also, like, I feel like the 
best pork and you want to get it just perfect um, is going to be right in that territory of 135 where you're just like you just crept past pink and you're just starting to like you know warm it up inside uh, and it's a little tricky with the tenderloin but it's kind of like cooking a breast a chicken breast brown on the outside and then maybe put in the oven to bake for a bit I feel like that is where I found easiest to creep up to that temp rather than doing it on the stove pot with it covered because then it's like boiling on one side and it's usually going to get a little overcooked on one side and probably even just fucking overcook it um, and zap the whole thing but uh there's that tender moment put it in the oven uh, covered brown the outside put it in the oven cover at 325 350 for another 15 minutes and just like just really keeping my eyes on that and watching that so I don't overdo it on that um that's where I've found I've gotten the most perfect little tenderloins and then you just slice it thin and make little pork sandwiches out of it. Whoa. Um, it's a really uh, it's a really magic territory of pork. Now that pork tenderloin, that is one that I do kind of like to marinate. I still like to mess around with some marinade. Maybe it's because of the way that I'm browning it that I'll do, like, you know, maybe a little mustard and apple juice and uh, it all kind of freestyle with some juices. I feel like that's where the pork kind of shines. It's bringing a little juice flavor. Um, if I'm, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been excited about, like, really spicing that marinade. Uh, even like chopping up some anise and like doing something really exciting in there. And it's great. It's a good way to make pork is to add a bunch of flavor. But probably I've just gotten lazy in my old age with the marinades and like I'll just get some juice from the fridge and maybe a little mustard. And... I'm on the fence about whether sticking a fork in there helps or makes it worse. Because, like, I feel like you can really penetrate that marinade with the fork. But then is it also, is it, like, is it making some areas in the meat where it's letting in and out the juices in a way that's not as desirable? I feel like I need to run. I need to run some experiments on that. Um. But a little marinade will add an exciting flavor on the outside. And then searing a good sear on the outside and not and keeping the marinade off. So I'm just searing and flipping on each side, but adding a little marinade as I do. And it kind of caramelizes on the outside and adds some flavor structure to the outside of that tenderloin and then 
once I've got it well browned, and that's going to be in the territory of like, you know, a couple minutes per side, and depending on how many sides you're really going for those tendrils, sometimes it can be like three or four sides. It's a kind of weird shape, you know? Um, then I will, that's uncovered, hot as fuck. Um, then add the marinade back to it and um, cover it and stick it in the oven um, for another 15 minutes or so. And that's usually where I'm still I'm still a fear-based enough that I will use the thermometer in there. Um, I prefer to not have to cut it open to check it because I find that if it's not ready, then it's kind of going to cook different. And so I really want to just, you know, I really just want to get the timing right. Um, but checking the temp in there is always a good way to kind of reassure myself. Uh, I got it right. Um, you know, it's with kids. It's like I got to I try to be really careful with the kids, like make sure that things are cooked right. But also I've noticed they really like it on the tender side. They like it a little bit on that pink side. So it's kind of like I'm like really threading the needle, I think, uh, for the kids because they don't want it overcooked. They don't got to fucking eat it if it's overcooked. Uh, so... And kids seem to be pretty hardy, you know? They're hardy little kids. Um, so, you want to cook a pork tenderloin, huh? It's a good way to cook it. I feel like I'm cooking a beef tenderloin. I'm not fucking marinating it. And... I don't know. Maybe the, there's a way to really like roast it correctly. Um, I gotta, I gotta spend some time with some beef tenderloins, roasting them. Um, I'm really like having a good roast emotion. Um, but I've just found it's like. Just, just cutting it up into steaks and then searing it. Um, okay, I'm back on using oil to sear the meat. I think it was actually it was in a house that didn't have a great fan above the oven. Uh, and so it was really like the oil, frying with oil was just actually like really insane. Um, and so I started cooking things dry and trying to really hot sear with like no oils. And I've had some good success. I think that like cooking veggies this way can be really interesting. I think cooking like an onion and pepper on really high heat with a lot of salt and no oil uh, is actually it makes just such a, an interesting like denser flavor 
than the traditional browning of butter or oil. Uh, uh, kind of a more exciting or just different. And I use that to like browning onions with no oil and a lot of salt in a pan. And then using that brown and flavor in there to then cook the meat in. Also, not using oil in there. So it's not getting that same fried oil crisp. It's getting like a, you know, a drier um, and a little more smoky flavor um, can be really, is really interesting. And I did that for a couple years, but I've kind of veered back into like more traditional European style of oiling the shit out of the pan and uh, searing it. And uh, it seems to be, you know, I feel like uh, with beef especially, I think I'm like, I'm seeing the merits in it. I'm seeing the, the merit in it frying in oils and the heat that that oil can bring to the surface uh, because that oil can really really transfer that heat so let's loop it back into fear here and what this what these investigations can do, and I think getting oneself out of, like, if we can get out of our fear of dying from weird meat, so you're going to use your nose, and you have to trust yourself, and it's only you that can trust yourself. It's only you that's got the nose that's sniffing this stuff. Um, and so you're learning to trust yourself. You're learning to like be in that space with yourself. And then also getting rid of like some of these like, you know, socialized preconceptions of like what, how you should cook it, you know, like the way that some grumpy dude at the bike shop told you to cook meat. Or the way that, like, you know, your dad told you had to do it this way, you know? Or, like, some weird, like, you squeeze your hand and you push it and then your meat's got to feel like that. Um, there's all sorts of techniques that, like, we're taught, like, this is the way to do it. And I think it's important to kind of find your own way through that. And the only way to find your own way through that is through... Experimentation and embracing like your own perception and embracing your own view of it, and that takes a confidence, I think, in yourself. And I think that's where like you can get into the dangerous territory of ego, but like also into the delicious territory of ego, and that like. It is yourself you're feeding here, and it is yourself you're taking care of here. And so getting you, you know, to the place where you're the one that's driving your desires and um, your joys, I think is 
it's important, you know. And and this in like my own personal journey of like finding what I like has allowed me to understand myself, understand like other people's tastes and be able to find those and like as a cook being able to like veer into different territories. Like if it you know somebody likes things well done or somebody likes things medium rare, I can get both of those territories and like cook it like where they want it with joy and respect and it's not about like a right or a wrong like i can find all of these territories and i can find the joy and the flavor and the fun and all that and in abandoning like some of these preconceived notions about what it is supposed to be like you know a well done steak can taste good with ketchup and you know also a fucking perfectly medium rare steak fucking rare steak which is just crisp on the outside and bloody and like these amazing cuts can be awesome and you know a fucking chuck roast overcooked can also like have some really amazing characteristics and being you know being broke and trying to enjoy oneself um, will allow has allowed me to um, investigate some of the territories I think that um, are maybe a little bit taboo um, so dropping some of those fears of like being wrong being broke being a poor kid eating weird snacks um something wonderful about that something wonderful about being broke poor so um thanks for thanks for listening um i had a great time talking to you today and let's continue to investigate um fear and meat there's more to this conversation um, but we're an hour in, I'm at work, it's time to make little glass things, um, it's time to think about other things, so... Let's talk some more about meat and fear later. But thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time to um, think about this stuff with me. I think it's that's the joy there is the thinking. And the learning is in the being present with these thoughts. And it's not, there's not some answer at the other side. There's not something more, there's not something else. It's just right here thinking. So thanks for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Love you a lot.
and talk to you soon, all right? Okay, bye for now. This is the end of the message.